everyone and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Center, and I've got a great podcast here for you today. Today I've got the Orioles lawyer Aaron Raskus joining me. He's working right now on the Orioles Nationals Masson case and he will be talking about that. I will also be talking about the free agency market. What's been going on with the Ravens? Free agency markets, are they looking to get guys? Are they not? I will also talk about a trade for a Hall of Fame player that makes no sense when you first look at it. And I will explain to you why it makes sense, or at least try to explain to you why it makes sense. All coming up and more on Sports with Yosef. And joining me today on Sports with Yosef, it's a lawyer for the Baltimore Orioles and the Orioles Nationals massive dispute. It's Aaron Raskus. Aaron, thanks for joining me on Sports with Yosef. How are you? Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. Thank you so much for doing this. So what is this case about? Okay, so this case, like a lot of things in sports these days, unfortunately, is about money. Um, and it's about how much money each team, the Orioles and the Washington Nationals, will get paid by Mass and the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network. Um, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network was created as part of a settlement of a dispute, which I can tell you about momentarily, between the Orioles and Major League Baseball and ultimately the Nationals. And um, as part of that settlement, Masson uh, was created or it had been in place, but um, it was reconstituted with both the Orioles and the Nationals each having an ownership interest. So mm-hmm. I can tell you how the whole – I'll give. let me give you the history and your listeners might appreciate that. Would that be a good place to start? Yes, please. Thank you. Sure. Um, so, you know, especially for some of the younger listeners, they, they may not know that um, Major League Baseball had a team called the Montreal Expos, um, and they were faltering. They weren't drawing uh, enough people, and it was hard to sustain the team. So uh, MLB decided to shut down the team, and MLB bought the team and, uh, and originally intended to just fold it and distribute the players in a draft to other teams. Then uh, they had the idea that instead of doing that, they could probably just take the team, uh, put it in another city, and sell it uh, to a higher bidder, to a high bidder. And um, they started focusing on that idea. The Orioles, in the meantime, who you know used to play at Memorial Stadium on 33rd Street, something again that a lot of your listeners may not know about or certainly wouldn't remember, um, had moved to Camden Yards in 1992. And you know the decision to move to Camden Yards was uh, very intentional. Um, governor Schaefer, who was the governor at the time, wanted it to be in Baltimore City, but they deliberately built it at the furthest southern gateway of the city so that uh, it, the Orioles could continue to attract people from Washington. Because the Orioles um, always had, Major League Baseball had always um, attributed to the Orioles the television, the television territory that included the Washington, D.C. area. And a third of the Orioles' revenue, TV revenue, marketing, and fan base came from D.C., so the D.C. area was very important to the Orioles financially. Um, as Major League Baseball began looking around for a new buyer, there were rumors that they were going to put the team in Washington. And Mr. Angelos um, began confronting Major League Baseball about that. Um, well, uh, different representations made over time, but ultimately it became very clear that they were in fact going to put the team in Washington. And that would have harmed the Orioles to a very significant degree because, uh, again, a third of their revenue 
really was derived from the Washington market. And if there's a new team there, that would take away um, uh, you know, a large segment of their profitability. Um, the Orioles made it clear to MLB that if they did go ahead with this plan, they would sue to protect their rights to that territory. And literally up until days before spring, uh, the end of spring training in the beginning of the season, 2005, um, the Orioles stood ready. Some of my partners uh, were ready with a lawsuit to file against MLB to prevent, uh, to get an injunction that would prevent uh, MLB from putting a team in Washington. At the time, the team was owned by MLB itself. Um, and just days before the season, March 28, 2005, the Orioles and MLB, which owned the team at the time, entered into a settlement agreement to settle the dispute. The Orioles agreed they wouldn't sue, but uh, and and MLB agreed that it would uh, well entered into this agreement that uh, would compensate the Orioles on an ongoing and continuing basis for all the continuing harm that the Orioles would have. So you got all that so far? Yeah. Okay. So. The settlement agreement, so the Orioles, you know, for every every year that the Nationals were around, the, the Orioles would be losing about a third of their revenue from fan, from attendance, from advertising, from other revenue based on, um, you know, the Nationals taking away people who were formerly Orioles fans. And they knew that would be continuing and ongoing. So the the, the crux of the settlement agreement was that the – uh, Masson would be reconstituted, and the Orioles at the beginning had a 90% interest in Masson. The Nationals had a 10% interest in it. And over time, the Nationals' interest would increase to a maximum of 33%, sometime I think in 2030 or something like that, or thereabouts. The Orioles would never have less than 67%. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing you have to, you, you probably know this, but for your listeners, um, you know, one of the most valuable assets that a team has is, is, are its television rights. The team, you know, owns the rights to broadcast its games, and there's a big market for that. And a team goes out on the market and sells its television rights to the highest bidder. It could be Comcast, it could be a regional sports network or something like that. Um, so, the, so the Nationals and the Orioles, under the terms of the settlement agreement, both pledged their television rights to Masson in perpetuity so that Masson would always have the right to broadcast both the Orioles games and the Nationals games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in return, uh, like any regional sports network, Masson pays the Orioles and it pays the Nationals each for their respective broadcast rights. The question mm-hmm. then becomes how much does it pay them? And now I'm getting to the heart of the dispute, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, think about it this way. Um, if the Orioles, let's say at this moment in time, uh, let's say for, let's make it easy. Let's say, the, let's say there's a moment in time where the Orioles own 20%, uh, where the Orioles own 80% interest in Masson and the Nationals own a 20% interest in Masson. Mm-hmm. So the way the Orioles get compensated is they get 80% of the profits that Masson earns. Uh-huh. Therefore, they, um, for every dollar that Masson earns, the Orioles get 80 cents, the Nationals get 20 cents. The Orioles have an interest in maximizing the profits of Masson, 
mm-hmm. and lowering the amount of the telecast rights fees that are paid to each team because the Orioles, the Nationals get a whole dollar, the Orioles get a dollar for what's paid, but the Orioles get a larger share of mm-hmm. the um, telecast rights fees. So everyone knew that there would be this this uh, uh, competing interest. The Nationals' interest was to have Mass and pay higher television rights fees. And the Orioles' interest was to have them pay lower television rights fees. So there had to be a, a resolution for if the parties couldn't agree how much Madison would pay for the television rights, there had to be a resolu- uh, uh, dispute resolution mechanism. And that brings you to Section 2J3 of the settlement agreement, which provides the dispute resolution mechanism if the parties can't negotiate a resolution of their dispute over how much the telecast rights fees would be. They would go before a committee of Major League Baseball called the RSDC, the um, Revenue Sharing Definitions Committee, which is a committee that uh, I'd bore you with the details, but it, it, it has to do with how much revenue taxes the teams pay, and it sets different um, rates uh, that uh, uh, regional sports networks could mm-hmm. um Amongst um, uh, a different, yes, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But that's 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 the other business they do. But but they they, they we agreed that there would be a, a a hearing by the revenue sharing definition committee. They would hear the dispute. Each side would have experts about how much the telecast rights are worth, and they would make a decision. And that's what happened in 2012. There was a hearing in front of the RSDC. And they gave uh, the Nationals, they awarded Nationals an amount that um, the Orioles believe was far too high. Um, And the Orioles thought that the RSDC was biased. And we went to court to set aside the arbitration award, uh, arguing that the the, the arbitrators had an evident partiality. They they were not impartial arbitrators, but they were biased arbitrators essentially because we determined, we found out that a lot of them had connections. The lawyers that the the nationals had arguing for them had connections both with MLB and with the people on the RSDC. And ultimately a court decided that yes, they were not uh, impartial. And, you know, they were to some extent could have been biased or tainted by bias or had an appearance of bias. Um, and um, they reversed the, the arbitration award and said it had to be done over. And that sort of brings us to where we are today. And recently there was another hearing in front of a different panel of the RSDC. And um, uh, the parties are waiting for a decision from um, from that board. And that's where we are today. And that's just where the... The, the, the telecast rights for 2012 to 2017. The, the next five-year period is still due to be um, settled also. So uh-huh. there's, there's a lot of money at stake. Uh, each team has a big interest, and um, that's where we are. Uh-huh. Will any of the play on the field, especially with the Orioles and they're in a rebuild right now, is that going to affect the case at all? It's not going to affect the case, but each side obviously wants to maximize its revenue and profitability so that it has the money to spend on free agents. I mean, if you've, you know, you read the, the some of the, the arguments that the Nationals have made, they said they've been hindered in the free agent market because they are not being paid the amount they should be paid, and the Orioles would like to be paid the amount that they should be paid. So, you know, ultimately, it, 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 it 
translates into the amount that each side has to spend on free agents and, you know, uh, scouting and farm systems and all the, all the rest. Statistics. Uh, yeah. Analytical yeah. Analytics. analytics, everything, right? Yeah, which leads me to my next question. The Orioles made a complete overhaul in the front office over the offseason, bringing in Mike Elias and Sigma Dell at the front office. Has that changed anything in the case? Will it change anything? No, not that I know of. I, I, I don't. The front office, the, the baseball people have never really been involved in in the uh, dispute. Um, you know, they, they focus on baseball operations, and that's what they should be doing. And it's really the owners that, uh, you know, are, are overseeing this dispute. So the Orioles then transferred ownership from Peter to his sons, John and Louie. Will that make a difference then? Well, that remains to be seen. You know, I think everyone's sort of waiting for a little more clarity on that. And, um, you know, I think that still needs to shake out and it'll become more evident. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't have any insight into that. Uh-huh. What do you think the final ruling will be? Uh, look, we think that uh, the Orioles' position was right, that the Orioles, um, the Nationals should be paid the amount that uh, the expert witnesses that we brought in suggested. Um, we hope that will be the ruling, and, uh, you know, we're going to wait and see. Okay, th- thank you so much. That was Aaron Raskus from the Orioles. He was a lawyer from the Orioles and Nationals Mass and Dispute. Aaron, thanks so much. Have a great day. It's a pleasure, and I uh, like uh, seeing what you're doing. Continue uh, doing great things with your show. Bye, Thanks. That was Aaron Vasquez, one of the Orioles lawyers in the Orioles-Nationals mass in dispute. And I want to get right now into a little bit of the Ravens. What's been going on with them? And it's not been good. If you are a guy who likes to see homegrown talents day, one of the most surprising moves, Terrell Suggs is signing with the Cardinals. The terms are currently unreported, but it looks like that he will be leaving Baltimore. The Ravens will get to see him next year in MT Bank Stadium, though, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. The Ravens also remember they cut Eric Weddle. He signed with the Rams for a two-year deal. Zadarius Smith signed by the Packers. C.J. Mosley signed by the Jets on a five-year, $80-plus million deal. A huge deal for C.J. Mosley. And just think for a minute of all the great Ravens players who have been great on the Ravens, gone somewhere else, and not played well. Especially on defense. It's a very big list, and I think at least two of the four players who left would be like that. The Ravens create schemes for these guys. C.J. Mosley can't cover the pass. You force him to cover the pass... You're in trouble. If you're in a situation where Zadarius Smith is against a really good guy, he's not going to get that much pressure. Terrell Suggs is old. He's, he's now a passer specialist. Eric Wendell cannot cover in man. He's very cagey. He's very smart. But he's not as fast as he used to be. And I like what the Ravens did. Not going after guys who were too expensive for them. The Ravens have always been right player, right price, and they did exactly that to start a free agency. They did get for the right player and right price, though. Nick Boyle, he was signed on a three-year contract extension worth $18 million, $10 million guaranteed. I love that move. The Ravens are going to be doing a lot in the running game over the next couple years with Lamar Jackson. And he's got to have time. He's got to have tight ends who can block. Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews are not yet able to block. I'm loving this move by Eric DeCosta and the Baltimore Ravens front office. 
But for other free agents, one of the biggest names out there, Le'Veon Bell. Well, it's between the Jets and the Ravens right now. The Ravens, I doubt they will overpay for him. They also have a very good offer to Mark Ingram, and it looks like they are the number one guys who get him. The Jets have put in an, kind of like an ultimatum here. This is our final offer. Say yes or no. So a lot of that is pending right now. John Brown and Cole Weasley, they both signed with the Buffalo Bills for over $27 million contract. Brown for three years, Cole Weasley for four years. And, of course, Brashad Perryman, another former Raven, he re-signed on a one-year $4 million contract with the Browns. Demarcus Lawrence, the franchise tag was placed on him. It was worth more than $20 million. Jason Witten, though, he came out of retirement to sign a one-year deal that carries a base value of $3.5 million, but could be up to $5 million with incentives. Interesting guy decides to come out of retirement. Not really going to talk too much about this, but it's very, very intriguing that he left the ESPN broadcast booth to head back to the Cowboys. Danny Amendola, he signed on a one-year deal with the Lions. You also had Adrian Amos, who signed a four-year contract with the Green Bay Packers. Jadavian Clowney was franchise-tagged by the Texans. And Nick Foles was signed on a four-year $88 million deal with the max value of $102 million to the Jacksonville Jaguars to be their quarterback. Thomas Davis was signed with the Chargers, two years $10.5 million deal. And Teddy Bridgewater is expected to re-sign with the Saints. There is no contract deals for right now. Latavius Murray, though, he signed a four-year, $14.4 million contract with the Saints. So it looks like that will clear up Mark Ingram leaving there. Landon Collins signed a six-year deal worth $84 million with the Washington Redskins. And don't forget, not too long ago, the Washington Redskins traded for Case Keenum. to leave Joe Flacco, the sole starting quarterback in Denver, and now the Denver sent their guy who looked like that they might lose Joe Flacco to the Redskins. Well, they sent now their backup to the Redskins. You've also got guys though, who are still left out there. We talked about Le'Veon Bell. Earl Thomas is still out there. Anthony Barr looked like he was going to join the Jets, but it looks like he decided to sign a, a five-year, $67.5 million contract. $33 million guaranteed with the Vikings. Justin Houston, well, he might be an interesting fit for the Ravens here. The Ravens right now have no veteran leader in their defensive in defense in the locker room. This is the first time in the history of the franchise, as of right now, they've not had a, a defensive leader in the locker room. Start off with Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, Ed Reed. We don't have that right now. Mosley's gone. Weddle's gone. Suggs is gone. Who could take over that role? Could it be a guy like Justin Houston? Could it be an Earl Thomas? Maybe a K KJ Wright who could be coming in. Tyron Matthew signed with the Chiefs, so he's not no longer an option. But Nidam Kansu, he's still here. The Ravens are going to have to decide what they're going to do with that. And it's going to emerge. It could be a guy like Marlon Humphrey. Coming to his third season, he had a phenomenal year last year. That could be an option. It could be a guy like Jimmy Smith. He's been on the team for a while. He definitely commands some respect in the locker room. It could be a guy who we just don't expect. It could be Brandon Williams. He made his first Pro Bowl this year. I'm sure he would love to step up his leadership in the locker room. So, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Ravens decide to do there. Be, I mean, it's not really the Ravens' decision. It's the guy who's going to have to step up and take control and take leadership in the locker room because it's definitely necessary. This is a team that needs to have someone 
uptick leadership, especially on defense. This was the, one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. They're going to have to figure out a way to get back because they're losing some pretty big pieces. Pieces. Kenny Young, I think, can take it over for C.J. Mosley. Deshaun Elliott, Chuck Clark, one of those two guys will be able to take over for Aquell. But the pass rush, I'm a little bit worried about that. Pass rush has always been a struggle for the Ravens. And I, yes, I know this was an amazing year for sacks, but that was off of the blitz. A lot of the sacks came off of the blitz. I'm sure Mar Wink Martindale would love to be able to get sacks without blitzing. And that's what the Ravens, I expect them to go get in edge rusher in the draft. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. But a, Hall of a future Hall of Fame wide receiver was traded to the Oakland Raiders from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Antonio Brown was traded for a third and a fifth round draft pick. That is correct. A future Hall of Famer was traded for a third and a fifth round draft pick. He's 30. I believe he has two years left on his contract. Why? What's up? He must be undervalued somehow. Something's wrong here. Because either the market wasn't there for AB. The trade market for the Steelers, they weren't able to get much more than this. I think the Steelers might have overvalued the market. Or is it the locker room antics? We've known he's going, he might have a dispute with players. He definitely had one with Ben Roethlisberger causing him to miss the last game. I don't know. I think it's a combination of locker room antics plus the market wasn't really there because this is a decent wide receiver class in the draft. And you've also got a bunch of solid wide receivers in free agency, although some of them have already signed. I don't know. But we're talking about a future Hall of Fame wide receiver who was traded for a third and a fifth round draft pick. To put into perspective, that's like... I'm going to totally get this wrong here, but... Mark Andrews... Antonio Brown being traded for Mark Andrews. And who was a first round draft pick this year? And Jordan Lastly. Couple of rookies. Guys, you don't know are going to pan out. I think Mark Andrews will be good. Lastly is an unknown. He's, he didn't play a snap. And lastly, will be, by the way, be given a chance with Michael Crabtree being cut, along with John Brown now signing with the Bills. You only got Willie Sneed and Chris Moore, the veteran wide receivers for the Ravens. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But it's definitely going to help the Ravens that Antonio Brown was traded. By the way, if I'm a team in the AFC North, I am loving the fact that the Ravens' dominant defense is slowly being dismantled. Their veteran leaders are gone. It is time for Marlon Humphrey to step up and lead this defense. He's more than capable He's a great performer on the field. I want to see him take it into the locker room. I want him to lead this team. Maybe Brandon Carr also. I'm t I mean, you've got a guy who was just made the highest paid slot cornerback in the game in Tavon Young. Step up. Start being a leader. Lamar Jackson is a leader, but you're going to have to have other guys be leaders. Who's going to get the mic? We saw Peanut have it for a little bit. That didn't work too well. Who's going to get the mic in? Do you want to give it to a young second-year linebacker, Kenny Young? I don't love that. I don't love giving it to Tony Jefferson either. I don't love Anwasu. I don't love Young. I don't know. I think the Ravens need to go figure out a way to get a linebacker. At least a veteran linebacker or a veteran safety. They've got to get one of the two. I would also like them to get a pass rush guy. A guy who can also stop the run. Because a lot of the guys who the Ravens lost were really good at stopping the run. That's going to have to get, have guys who are going to step up. Matthew Dujan needs to have a great season this year. I look forward to seeing it. Uh, we'll talk a lot more. we got the Orioles season coming up soon. The Orioles looking a little better than you'd expect in spring training. And yes, it is spring training. And yes, I do follow it just a little bit. It'll be interesting. We'll talk a lot more about that in future episodes. But until then, thank you for listening to this edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Center. I'll try to get another episode out as quick as I can. I'll see you next time.